Welcome again to the Overflow Podcast. This is going to be part two with the interview with Bishop Johnny King that I got to join in on the Pivot Podcast. If you don't follow them already on Instagram, you can follow them at the Pivot Cast. You can also find them on a website called thepivotcast.com. Again, these are three great young guys from Inland Lighthouse Church. It is Seth Lopez, Josh Alvarez, and Ruben Rocha. They have done really cool interviews with Pastor Joel Booker, this one with Bishop Johnny King, and also Bishop Larry Booker. They just posted one out recently. Follow these guys. Listen to the podcast. They do a fantastic job. It would encourage you as a young person, a young adult, a saint of God. So welcome to The Overflow. You mentioned uh, your university study PhD. How did that come about all the way in England? Um, I chose the University of Birmingham primarily because that's where Brother Talmadge French um, went and got his PhD. And because they have a system in England where you can do an online, you can do a research PhD that doesn't require actual class instructions it's it's research you have a supervisor and you're being guided so i actually had the same supervisor that talmage french had and um his name was alan anderson he's retired now but he's he's still one of the foremost experts on global pentecostalism in the world um it was a pleasure to study under him and i was able to to do what i wanted to do which was to research oneness pentecostalism in the philippines and uh, and to dig into that and find out things that nobody had ever found out before, you know. For instance, there's there's a hundred more than 120 oneness organizations in the Philippines. Wow. There's like there's like over two million, over two million, which is more than two percent of the population, um, who are oneness Pentecostals in the Philippines. In the Philippines. Wow. But that we've been overlooked. Well, if that's true in the Philippines. What about every other country? Right. If that same intensity of research was done in every other country of the world, what are we going to find? How many oneness Pentecostals are there really? Right. You know, uh, uh, Alan Anderson, who I just mentioned, suggests that there may be 10% of the total Pentecostal population of the world are oneness. And that total population is now 500 to 700 million, which means that. 50 to 70 million oneness people, oneness Pentecostal people in the world. That does not mean that they all agree with you and I and see eye to eye with us in every respect. It simply means that they believe in talking in tongues, they're Pentecostal, and they believe in the oneness of God rather than in the Trinity. Right. Wow. That, that's that's kind of hard to wrap my, my, my brain around that. That's, wow. Now, that's like there, that's more people than there are in Canada. That's more people than there are in California. Yeah, yeah, that's wow. Now, you mentioned uh, Middle East, Israel, and how you met our bishop, um, and in an Israel trip. How did that come about? Because our bishop told us that you do tours, and you've done a tour in Turkey. And also in, in Israel. Well, we've led tours in in Turkey and Israel and Jordan. And uh, we have another one coming up in um, October in Turkey, seven churches of Asia, and in November in Israel and Jordan. Um, um, this first one was in, in 1984, the first time we went. We've gone back, I guess we've made a dozen trips since then, probably. And uh, there's so much you can learn Once you visit Israel, you never read your Bible again the same. For instance, if I were to tell you right now that Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho, you see a picture in your mind. There's a picture in your mind. All of your pictures are different. But there's a picture in your mind, and you you see the Israelites marching around the walls of Jericho. 
chances are, in your mind, they're what they're marching counterclockwise, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> they are. Are they? Yes, sir. What about you? Yeah. yeah. Okay, they're going counterclockwise. You get you get a picture in your mind. <laughs> yeah. Right. But when you're there, whether it's Jericho, Jerusalem, uh, the Pool of Siloam, uh, the the Pool of Bethsaida, the walls of Jerusalem, the southern steps, the beautiful gate, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of places that we go and visit right now, Gideon Spring, Beth Shan, the Sea of Galilee, uh, Capernaum, Chorazim, Dan, Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea by the Sea, Herod's Palace there, uh, the the Mount of Olives, the Cadron Valley, the Garden of Gethsemane, um, the House of Caiaphas, and 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 the path that Jesus would have taken up to to his judgment there, Calvary and and Mount Moriah and 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 all of these places and and things you know the Valley of Elah where David killed the giant and the city of Azekah. And, and Bethsheba, Beersheba, um, the Dead Sea, uh, all of these places are literal, real places. And many of these things have been dug right down to the foundation. They've actually found foundation. They found mosa- floor mosaics. They found they found roads. They found ditches. They found walls. They found fortifications that are still there from two thousand years ago. Wow! Fact. They found, they found grain, wheat, in Masada that had been stored for 2,000 years, and they planted it, and it grew. They found, they found olive seeds that they planted and grew and developed an olive tree that they named Methuselah. Huh. That's, a, that's a living that's a living tree, yeah. you know. But you, you, you walk... You see where Jesus walked. You, you see where Simon Peter lived. You, you see the shore where where Jesus came by and said, "Here, push out a little bit from land, and, and let me speak to these people." And then he said, "Push out a little deeper and let let down your net." You're there. You're right there. Wow. Jesus was there. Jesus healed the lame man there. You never read the Bible again because every time you pick up your Bible, you're reading and it takes you back. Now it's not the mental picture. Now it's you're seeing what you saw. The actual, yeah. You were there. Yeah. And you're seeing when you read wow. that scripture, you're seeing this is where it happened. So to me, it's a ministry. And so we've developed a tour that, that, that I mean, it may sound boastful, but I think it's true, is the absolute best journey ever offered because it's developed specifically for apostolics. I've developed it with preachers in mind. And so anybody else who goes, it's it's like a bonus. They're getting they're getting prime yeah. prime quality stuff. That's awesome. In fact, I'm working on a book right now that I hope to have published by summit uh, time that that I'll be giving um, uh, to everybody who goes on one of these trips to Israel, and other people can buy it as well. But it, it's going to talk about from an apostolic perspective these places where we visit. And then I've also dropped in what I'm calling moments with Simon Peter that tries to get into the mind of Peter. What did he feel when he was there? Mm. You know, what did he feel when he, was, when he was on the sea that night when the storm came? Wow. What, what did he feel when, when, Jesus, when Jesus walked up to him and said, come on, let's launch out into the deep? And what was going through his mind? What did he think? That's that's why I'm trying to get into Peter's mind. Anyway, um, that that book's basically finished, except for uh, throwing some pictures in it and then sending it to the publisher. And I hope that we can have it ready for summit. That's that's insane. So just as he, just hearing you talk about that, having that insight, that physical insight, being able to see that physically with your own eyes, what stood out to you? the most you know you mentioned the garden of gethsemane again to see that um also the sea of galilee like in my mind's eye just being able to see as and for you being a pastor and a bishop what what stood out to you the most what impacted you the most i guess Uh, 
there's there's just there's so much. I mean, how can you explain standing in the synagogue? Okay, so this is a this is a third and fourth century synagogue that was built on the very foundation of the first century synagogue where Jesus stood. The foundation's right there. You can see it if you go walk over to the side. You can see the brown. I mean, the black uh, basaltic stone there. Uh, that was the first century synagogue. Jesus stood right there and healed uh, the man with the withered arm on the Sabbath day. That's exactly where he was. And then you're standing on that same ground. You're, this is Capernaum. And it, it's the adopted hometown of Jesus, okay, after he left Nazareth. This was his adopted hometown. This is where he did many miracles. And and so to me, I mean, Capernaum is, a, is an awesome, it's one of my favorite places to visit and they didn't even discover it until, you know, it, it, it lied totally, un, you know, covered up by dust and stuff just over 100 years ago. And, and uh, there's, there's something about that. And then the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed in the olive trees that could be the, the shoots, the roots, the, from the same stalk of the olive trees that were there in that day because it's hard to kill an olive tree. Yeah, you know it's hard to kill an olive tree. They can they can live thousands of years. I saw an olive tree two thousand years old, and it was producing fruit. It was loaded, wow, with blossoms. Um, so you could have potentially been standing where Jesus was. Yeah. Now, now, and, and there are some places you go that you know Jesus was here, right here. Wow. He walked on these steps. These these stones are original, going up to Caiaphas' house. This is where they led him. Jesus Christ walked up these steps. And then here's here's a pit. This is in Caiaphas' house. This is where they kept him overnight, you know, uh, uh, until he was taken to to judgment the next morning. Um, this is also where, where Peter and John were taken when, when they were brought down from the temple and for preaching on the temple mount, and the, the man at the beautiful gate was healed in that pit. Yeah. Imagine Peter. Imagine Peter. Um, so there's scene one and scene two at Caiaphas' house. Scene one is is the night Jesus was betrayed. Simon Peter's sitting right outside the house, but he has he has eyes on Jesus because Jesus turned and looked at him, and he's warming his hands at the fire, and he denies that he knows the Lord three times, and the cock crows, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Okay. That was the darkest night of his life. And then and then, after Pentecost, in Acts chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. There was a lame man at the beautiful gate. He's healed. He goes leaping and running through the gate. We, we, stay, we pray right there at that gate. Those stones are original. That gate is original. Those steps are original. You know that the apostles were there. You know Jesus went through there. You know that, that he probably taught from those steps right there. And you're there. And we read the scriptures of the Psalms of Ascent there. And then and they, and they capture them, and they take Peter and John, and they take him back to Caiaphas' house. So this is scene two. And they put him in the same pit, and they take him up to the same place where they had judged, where they had judged Jesus and Jesus was denied. And now now Peter's not denying Jesus. He's in the same place. But mm-hmm. instead of saying, I don't know him, they say, man, I can feel it right now. Wow. Instead of saying, I don't know the man, and cursing and swearing, now he says, they say, by what name or by what power have you done this? And that's where he said, that's where he said, if we be examined this day of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what name he has made whole, be it known unto you and all the rich Jerusalem yeah. by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you have crucified, that this man stand before you whole. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Beautiful. You know, the man that denied him in the same place wow. said there's no other name. Goodness gracious. We know that 
God is omnipresent. We feel him here. Yeah. But when you're standing there, it has to be surreal. Words can't even describe it. I've never been. Surreal is a good word. Words because it is. Yeah, you're, you're standing right there. You know this is where it happened. Wow. Yeah, it's. It. it, it I can only imagine it. It makes reading the word. It's already rich as it is, but I can only imagine it makes it <laughs> if richer is even a word. You know. It, oh, wow. That's yeah, beautiful. it is. It's a. It's like. I mean, it's. I. I consider it like an education. I don't know any one particular course. I, I've had several courses that that I've learned a lot from. But I don't know one particular course that I've ever had, even in a graduate graduate school, that that I learn as much or feel that is as valuable as a, a trip to the Holy Land. Not just any, not just any, you know, you join this tour, but but what we do is is pretty deep. Yeah, we felt like we just went to, <laughs> I feel like to I the Holy Land with you right now. I feel like a free I was tour. there. Yeah. Wow. I want to go now. <laughs> I want to sign up. <laughs> Man. So after pastoring 43 years and, and uh, you know, you, you, you begin to think you're, you're getting older and you, you know sometime it's, it's going to happen. And I don't want to hold on until, uh, until I have to go. Or until people are wanting me to go, you know, it's like it's like preaching a message. You always want to. Uh, the preacher needs to finish before the people finish. Mm. Come on, that's good right there. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so so when he when I when I finished the other night, later sister sister Booker said I, the only thing that. The only thing was, is you, you stopped too soon. I, that was a compliment for me. You know, that's a compliment. I, I always want to stop too soon instead of he went too long. And it, and it was a good message. It really, it really was. was. Thank you. But, but in, I, I want to pastor the same way. And so um, I'd been thinking about it for years and praying, honestly praying, God, I wish you would show me. Lord, show me. I, honestly, I, 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 I knew I was comfortable. I knew that I was comfortable with, with two men. I was comfortable with, with Joel Booker, mm-hmm. you know, for years. And, and I has, I've said that here at this church, that um, had Joel Booker called me and said, Brother King, God spoke to me about taking Calgary, I would have said, when can you come? Yeah. Because that's how much I trust him. So I mean, you've got you've got a pastor that that I trust with everything, and then another man was was Brother Caleb Adams that I would have trusted had he called me and said God spoke to me. Uh, others I was praying about. There were other men I liked. There were there were other men that I thought, man, if I if I died right now, this probably is the man that should take this church. But but I I never felt you know, that good about anybody except Brother Joel Booker first and then Brother Caleb Adams. And then um, I met Pastor Walker, Douglas Walker. He was pastoring here in Yukaipa, and I just fell in love with him and his family. My wife and I both fell in love with him and his family. We had him come up and, and preach to the church, and I never discussed it with him. I never t- said anything. I Probably it was in the back of my mind and wondering Thinking, um, you know, this I really do like this man, and, yeah. and and he he might be a good pastor for this church. But I never, I had never heard anything from God, and and I, you know, I like things black and white. You know, I like to hear God say, "Do this, yes, sir, Lord, no problem." <laughs> yeah. I understand that, but um, sometimes it doesn't happen just that that easy. You know, when I when I took the church in Calgary. It was easy for me because God had given me a dream, and, and I, it just kind of broke through all the barriers, and I, I was evangelizing at the time. I had preached in Calgary. My wife and I both loved it, loved the church. We loved the pastor. Uh, it was being pastored by Brother Raymond Sirstead, started that church in Calgary in 1967. Well, 
I, I preached there in early 1977, February of 1977. And then after that, I was, I was holding revival in uh, a little town in Montana. I had a dream. And in this dream, I had walked into Pastor Sirstead's office, and he was, there was, a, I think, a box on his desk, and he was putting things. He was packing up. I knew he was moving. And um, um, I said, can I help you? He said, no, I've asked Brother Grisham to help me. Thank you, Brother King. Well, a few days later, we closed Revival in Montana, and I drove through Calgary on my way to preach in, I think, British Columbia. I stopped at the church, and he was there, and he said, come into my office. I have something I want to tell you. I walked into his office. Nothing looked any different. Nothing was out of place. He said, Pastor, he said, Brother King, um, what I'm going to tell you, nobody knows yet. And it, it just, cl- I felt it. It clicked. I said, I know. He kind of smiled and said, what? I said, you're leaving. And he, he stared at me. And then he said, yeah, I am. He said, and really, he said, y- you would be my first choice for this church but I feel like I also need to get somebody who can take care of the district. He was in he was in charge of the district at that time, and it was an unorganized district. And uh, so I said, I know who you've asked. He smiled again <laughs> and said, who? I said, you've asked Charles Grisham. And again, he just stared at me. He said, well, I haven't heard it. I don't have an answer yet, but but I would like for you to pray about it. So I said, okay. I prayed. And... Uh, he, um, uh, Brother Grisham didn't, didn't come. He, he was pastoring in Detroit, Michigan. And so Brother Sirsid asked his father-in-law, Brother Ralph Reynolds, who was over in British Columbia and had, was starting a, a Bible college called Frontier Bible School. And Brother Reynolds said yes, and Brother Reynolds had been elected as pastor. And it was still in British Columbia. Meanwhile, Brother Sirstead left, but he asked me to stay and watch the church until Brother Reynolds came. So I'm watching the church. This is summer now, summer of 1977. Brother Reynolds asked me to come over to British Columbia and speak to the students. So I go over there and I spend a couple of days and we're talking and and Brother Reynolds said, uh, said Brother King, Ray's asked me to take that church that was Brother Sirstead was his son-in-law. He said, Ray's asked me to take that church, but and they voted on me, and I'm supposed to go, but he said, my heart's not over there. My heart's here. And he stared right at me and said, you're the man for that church. I didn't say anything because I, I wasn't trying to get it. Yeah. I, I was serving God. I was happy serving God and, and doing what I was doing, and, and I didn't believe in you know, trying to make things happen like that or being political or anything else. But he said, you're the man for that church. And I didn't say anything. I just went back and was watching it for Brother Sirstead, waiting for things to unfold. And Brother Sirstead came back for a rally. We were we were having a rally in Lethbridge. I think he preached it. One of us preached it. After it was over, he said, can I, can I have a few moments with you? And we went to the back of the room. And he said, uh, Brother King, my father-in-law has backed out of Calgary. He doesn't want to take that church. He said, will you allow your name to run? When he said that, I felt my whole face smile. Really, I just, I just felt this huge smile on my whole face. It must have been my whole heart was smiling. I said, yeah, that'll be okay. You can. And so they had an election. I... I got it by 100%. There wasn't a whole lot of people there. I would never have done it again. I would never have got 100% again. But, um, but I, uh, that's the way I took the church. And, and that I felt I never, ever, one time in 43 years, ever questioned the will of God that I was there pastoring that church. And so in early 2020, it was during the, the first COVID shutdown, and uh, my wife and I took that time to remodel our house. We ripped up our hardwood floor and relayed flooring in the whole house. 
uh, two floors, repainted everything, new baseboard. Was And in the middle of that work, I just told my wife one day, I think I'm going to call Brother Walker and see if he's interested in taking this church. I wasn't, and I, and, and I told the later, I told the church, I'm not burnt out. I'm not tired. I'm not weary. I still feel great. I don't hate anybody. I still love this church. I don't want to go anywhere else. But I just feel like it's time. And I, I, I just felt like it was time. And so I remember I texted him. It was in June. I texted him and said, Douglas, give me a call when you have a few minutes. So he called me in a little while, and uh, I asked him, would you be interested in pastoring in Calgary? And he said, if I remember right, he said, yes, I would be interested. Let me pray about it. And uh, so from that time, that was in June, and he became pastor in November. During And it was miraculous. It was during the COVID shutdown. Um, he had no guarantee. He sold everything, brought as much bags as he could. He and his family showed up at the airport with no guarantee they would even let him in the country. Wow. And uh, they let him in, and it's it's been miraculous. It's been so good. It's been a... I mean, we're not in transition anymore. He He's definitely, he's the pastor. Yeah. He's treating me with respect. I'm an honorary bishop, and uh, I, I love him and his family. His wife and children are wonderful. The church is doing fantastic. I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier. Praise God. That's awesome. That's beautiful. How long did you, uh, before taking the pastor in Calgary, how long did you evangelize before then? Two years. Two years. Yeah. I, I evangelized two years. I I mean, I was... Sometimes I think evangelists are looking for a church to pastor rather than evangelizing. I wasn't looking for a church. I was just trying to work for God. And I was happy working for God. I didn't feel like I was... I don't think I was a... a Tremendously successful evangelist. I, I um, uh, my style is more pastoral than evangelistic. Um, but Paul told Timothy, "Do the work of an evangelist." And and so I only did it for two years, and um, you know I, I. It was very interesting the way that we got to Calgary, um, uh, and I I told this. Uh, I told this last night to Pastor Booker and Bishop. I was in the area, L.A. area. I had preached in Huntington Beach for Brother uh, uh, Ronnie Mullins, and he was pastoring there then. And when I finished, I didn't, I didn't have anywhere else to go. I mean, I was young. At that time, I was 22. My dad wasn't a preacher. Nobody hardly knew me. I was out of Brother Terry's church, but Brother Terry didn't, you know, he didn't line you up for evangelists. He only, he only, as far as I know, excuse me, as far as I know, he only ever asked one man to preach me, and that was that was Sam White, and he didn't do it. <laughs> I can remember, I, I was there. It was embarrassing. Uh, I, it was in Bakersfield, and Brother White was there, special meeting, and Brother Terry said, uh, Sam, you need to have this young man preach for you. Brother White looked me up and down and didn't say a word. Is it him? <laughs> he didn't say a word. He just turned around and walked off. <laughs> anyway, so I preached for Brother Mullins in Huntington Beach, and and um, I didn't have anywhere to preach. And I felt called. So I, I made a rash vow. I said, God, food will not touch my lips until I stand behind a pulpit to preach again. Now, I don't think I'd advise that. <laughs> not sure I'd do that again. I'd, I'd leave some wiggle room or something. Anyway, three days later, I was getting hungry, and nothing had opened up. So I called uh, Gerald Buxton. He was pastoring in Garden Grove at the time. 
And I knew him because he had dedicated our Sunday school classroom, our, our youth classroom in Bakersfield. So I said, uh, Brother Bucks, and this is Johnny King from Brother Terry's church. And I'm, I'm in the area. I've just preached for Brother uh, Ronnie Mullins, and I just thought I'd let you know I'm available if, if, if you need uh, an evangelist. He said, oh, Brother King, thanks for calling. He said, I, he said, actually, I have somebody preaching for me right now. He said, but call my brother Herbert in Ontario and tell him I said to call. So I called Herbert Buxton in uh, Ontario, and he said, uh, is midweek service? He said, yeah, come on over. So we drove over. My wife, our little girl, she was just like a year old, and uh, preached for him that that I guess it was a Wednesday night midweek service, and then he took us out to eat. Boy, was that was that good! <laughs> I can remember there was soup and there was <laughs> there was fresh homemade bread. I mean, it tasted like homemade bread. It was so good. <laughs> You're like, what is? And it? <laughs> uh, got a good offering. Well, I mean, that struck up a friendship with Brother Herbert Buxton. Right. So later on. Later on that year, this was in 1976, later on that year, um, not too long later, General Conference was held in Anaheim, okay? General Conference used to be, Saturday used to be Home Missions Day. They had, maybe the daytime was Home Missions and the evening was Foreign Missions, I can't remember. But anyway, I think the daytime was Home Missions and they had several different home missionaries get up and talk about what they were doing and where they were from. One of them was a man I'd never heard of. His name was Ray Sersted. And he spoke about a place called Alberta and Saskatchewan. That was the Canadian Plains District. Well, out of all the testimonies that day, that's the one that touched me the most. And so when I designated my probably a $10 offering for that service, I, I said Canadian Plains. Put this offering on the Canadian Plains. Okay, the next day's Sunday. So for the Sunday service, I went to Ontario to Brother Buxton's. He had quite a few preachers there. I testified, and I can still remember part of my testimony. I was... I was uh, it's embarrassing. I was upset at these women wearing big hats, and I said something about it. At the conference? They're in his test. No, oh, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in Brother Buxton's oh, church. Oh, right, 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 right. At the fellowship meeting, you know. it's It was embarrassing. Anyway. How old were you then? You said 22. 22. Oh, yeah. I knew a whole lot more then than I know now, <laughs> of course. But um, but anyway, we—, we uh, he, he had Mexican food after church, so we went out in the patio and we had Mexican food. Well, I sat across from a man that I'd never met. His name was Daniel Mena. He pastored in Edmonton, Alberta, and um, he invited me to come up. He asked, he asked if I would come up to Canada and preach. Well, the day before, I designated my $10 offering for this district, right? Yeah. So now here's, this is the district uh, home missions director. And he asked me if I would come up and preach in that district. I said, yeah. So later that year, it was in November, we actually left our trailer behind and drove up to Canada in uh, November of 1976 and preached revival for Brother Mena. And he introduced us to the rest of the district, and, and they subsidized us going around and preaching for the district. That's how I got up there. That's how I wound up there. So, so my trip... My years in Canada, it's been 45 years now that I've, that I've lived there, and it's my home. I've become a Canadian citizen. Um, I, I, I don't want to leave. I plan to live there the rest of my life and be buried there. That started right here in Ontario. Wow. You know, so we're, we're very close to where that started. Yeah, we are. Not, not that far at all. Uh, Brother King, uh, how, uh, how old or when did you know that you were called to preach? Was there a moment that you knew, like, okay, God's calling me or God's working on me? And 
And when you got that moment, what was your first sermon you've ever preached? Well, there, do you remember the title of it or anything? There, there wasn't, with me, there wasn't a particular moment. Like, I can't put my finger on one particular day. As I said, I was raised under I.H. Terry. He put the word in us. I started preaching there in children's church, so probably when I was 12 years old. And then Brother Terry had a way of, if, if he thought he saw some preacher in you, he thought there was possibility and that you might be called to preach, he'd have you sit on the platform. So when I was either 16 or 17, probably about 17, he asked me to start sitting on the platform. So along with all of his other young men that he picked, I was sitting on the platform during services. And periodically he would give you an opportunity to preach or to lead service or something like that. And I was I was preaching in youths. I preach in youth. I can remember one time I got got off work. I worked at uh, Phillips sixty six service station, and I got got off work and went straight to church. I still had my service clothes on, you know, my 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 shoes, my big heavy thick shoes, and my <laughs> my uh, Phillips six Phillips petroleum gray, and uh, they asked me to preach. Well, I was. <laughs> so I think I taught on oil that night. <laughs> Honestly, really did. But uh, but it, it it was like it was it was like I knew. It was like there wasn't a particular point or time. It was just like all my life I knew. You know, when I was about I don't know ten years old. Brother Bean preaching revival in our church. I gave a message in tongues interpretation, and and Brother Bean told somebody, and it got back to my mom that that was real. That boy's real, you know. Those that was a real message. It's not just some kid out there. And I mean, I was a kid. I was a normal teenager. I had I had normal for a time in my youth, young teenage years and mid teens, perhaps. I just thought, I'm, I'm going to be lost. I'm going to hell. Not because I wanted to. Uh, it's just because I was a normal kid with normal thoughts, and I didn't know much about the grace of God, you know. And so I just, I just thought the devil wanted me to believe that I was going to hell, and I believed it for a while. I didn't quit church, didn't want to quit church, but I just thought, man, I'm lost. How can somebody think thoughts like this and be saved? And so it, with me, it wasn't, and I know everybody's different, and that there are times that, that some guys get a particular call and they can, they can take you to the spot. I can't do that. I, I can take you to the spot where I went, where I, I can, I could, I mean, I could show you if it's still there, the windows that I knew were unlocked in that building that I could get in and, 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 and the roof vent that I could climb up and, and I could open the roof, and I could climb down and get into the church. And I could always get into church. We lived in the neighborhood. Nobody kept me out of the church. And I'd go and pray, and there were no lights and no windows, and it was dark in there, and we had those big water bugs, you know. Yeah. Some people call them roaches. And so I'd lay up on top of the altar so I wouldn't be on the floor with them and, <laughs> and pray. And, and I, didn't, I didn't even really know how to pray. But I wanted to be with God, and I wanted to know God, and I wanted to get closer to God. And I remember one time wanting to feel my pastor's anointing, so I got and got up and sat in his chair on the platform. But I didn't feel anything; it was just a chair that was too big for me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. And but God was merciful to me, and God kept me. and And I assume that um, this lack of direction that I felt when I was eighteen, you know. At that point, really, I should have had more direction. I, I should have had a goal, a plan. Again, that's that's where Hope Corps comes in. Yeah. But uh, I I didn't have Hope Corps, and Brother Terry didn't didn't really want us going to Bible school. There was no there was no such thing as Wilson University in those days, and you couldn't take online courses. There was nothing online. You had to leave town. You had to go somewhere else. Well, the problem the problem with that is. 
Many of these schools built their churches on their schools. A lot of these Bible schools, they, they got kids from churches all over the country, and they never went home. So what wound up is you wound up building a big church yeah. in Houston or a big church in Stockton or a big church in Indianapolis or a big church in St. Paul, Minnesota, and and all these kids, you know, that's where they got jobs and that's where they found spouses and that's where they got married and that's where they stayed. So there were a lot of pastors then and now that really don't want their kids going off to Bible school. That's why I thank God for Wilson University. Yeah, You know, I went through that and never had to leave home. I wish I could have done that as a young man. Yeah. I can imagine that for like a home missions church or, or a smaller church, the impact of young people, you know, what they say, young people bring strength, leaving. Yeah. I, I got, yeah, that's that's true. Um, I want to say this about, because since we're in, in the topic about young people and things like that, in this generation, if you had the opportunity, which is today, <laughs> to tell this generation, something that you see, I guess for a better for a better lack of a word, weakness, something that you see in these young people that they need to improve on. What is that thing that you feel like this generation needs to get a grip of? And you know, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, the young people of this generation are every every bit as capable. Every bit as spiritual, every bit as good as the, as the youth of my generation. There's a lot of kids I grew up in church with that aren't serving God today. They didn't make it. They didn't have anything on you guys. Honestly, they didn't have anything on you. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of those who say, "Oh, bunch of spoiled kids today. You don't. You don't know what to do." And you're doing a great job. So. Um, I, I think the some of the dangers that we didn't have to face, which are obvious, is of course the um, the whole uh, internet and online thing where you have to be really careful, or it, it can rob you of your time and rob you of you know, for instance, learning Latin, yeah, or learning hieroglyphics, or or learning Aramaic, or or pursuing your education. I did my entire Ph.D. online, basically. I mean, I I was on the ground. I did research and so forth. But but you use these things for a positive purpose, and you control them. And don't let them control you. I mean, that's a – you know that yeah. probably as as young men better than I know it. This is, this is, a, this is a fairly recent innovation yeah. that, that we're dealing with here, where you never get out of touch and never get out of contact and – and you're always in touch with something somewhere somehow. Um, I, I would say that that our our young people are uh, they're doing a great job. Keep it up, but 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 don't just drift. A lot of people get in church and they just drift. Wherever the current takes them, whatever happens in life, that's they just spend their life reacting to whatever happens to them. Don't do that. Set a plan. Set a goal. Set a direction. Say, this is where I'm going, and then go. Study. Learn something. Get interests. And get interests that can be a blessing to the kingdom of God. You know, you want to build a business? Good. Build a business that's not going to keep you out of the house of God, and one that can in turn be a blessing. You know, how can this bless the church? Primarily, you can bless the church financially, but is there any other way? Can you, for instance, can you build a business that employs young people in the church? Can you build some type of a business that helps homeless people to get back on their feet? You know, can can your business double as a ministry? Um, what about your studies? What do you want to do? You want to you want to one one young a pastor's daughter, and she could have done it. She's brilliant. She said she was thinking about being a brain surgeon. She certainly could have done it. But I said, okay, but if you do, is this going to be a blessing to the kingdom of God? How much is this going to take you out of the house of God? 
Where are you going with this? What are you going to get as a result of the, the years and years and years of study you have to invest in this? She could have been a brilliant brain surgeon, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So instead, she went into psychology. Now she's a pastor's wife, missionary's wife, and, and she, she can use what she learned in the kingdom. She can use it if she, if she needs to. She can use it financially and so on and so forth. But instead of just thinking about where can I make the most money or what can I do or learn or study or what degree or what job is going to be most gratifying to me personally, God, what's your will? What do you want me to do? God has a way of, of providing the funds, of giving you what you need. God can pay better than anybody else can pay. Yeah. And in ways that nobody else can pay. So submit your life to God, your future, your studies, your occupation, your plans, your dreams, your ambitions, your marriage... Submit it all to God and ask for his direction and try to figure out what can be best for the kingdom of God. Yes, sir. So, I mean, obviously you're an advocate of higher education with yourself having a Ph.D., but I, I like what you said, and it's pursuing a higher education but still throwing it through the filter of how can this bless the kingdom and how can I be a blessing to God, and is it going to— if I pursue this goal, is it going to take away from my time with God? Is it going to take away from my devotion? Let me say something about higher education. I, I, I am an advocate. Higher education is not for everybody, but I think it's for more people than think that it is. Um, but if you pursue higher education, I don't advise anybody, anybody to pursue higher education to go to college or university without their pastor's approval. They need to stay close to their pastor. They need to get counsel from their pastor because depending on where you go, you're going to be exposed to a lot of junk and a lot of trash. And and if there's no good purpose for it, just to get a degree, no, I uh, no. Most most people change their degree, change their major 3 times before they graduate. Well, that's a waste of money and it's a waste of time. You'd be better off knowing what you want to do. You know, you, you uh, one young man said, I want to be a lawyer. I said, okay, it's fine. Before you invest in the time, before you go six years and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, go to a law firm and say, look, I want to volunteer my time. Let me work here for a couple of months. Just, just, I'll just, whatever you want me to do, I'll copy papers, I'll do anything. Go give them a couple of months of your life. Volunteer. And then see if you like it. And so he did that. And he said, I don't like it. And I said, aren't you glad you found out now? Yeah. yeah. Then, after you, then after you got a master's degree in law? And all that money? All so that money? People, like yeah. our yeah. age, that they pursue higher education. After high school, you know, that's the big... And you kind of mentioned it yourself. Um, getting out of high school, you're, you're left with, okay, what do I do now? You have to make a decision. And I, for, for me personally, I remember sitting and not knowing what I wanted to do. And I went to school for maybe a year, and I dropped out. I wanted to be a social worker, or so I thought. And just going to school was like, it's not for me. And there's so many people my age that have, <clears throat> excuse me, have their degrees, have masters, or have bachelors. And they're working it in a field that does not require that. So it's almost like a wasted time. Exactly. It is a waste. Yeah. yeah. Wasted time and money. It is. Yeah. It's a, I think, what, like Seth said, the common theme is, uh, what do I do with my life? I have to go to college, like, especially like the pressure, like you said, after high school, the pressure of I need to go, I need a direction. A lot of people, when they choose college, it's like once they're there, they find themselves like, okay, I'm going to pursue this. And then they're in it. Never mind. I don't want to do that. I'm just wasting time, wasting time. And while the kingdom of God is like, well, come on, now we all doing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I want to segue into rapid fire questions. Okay. It's going to be fun questions right off the bat. Shoot. That's a rapid fire. So here we go. What's your favorite type of food? 
Mexican food. Yes, oh. sir. Good answer. You're in the right place. <laughs> I know where I'm at. There's Mexicans everywhere. <laughs> uh, current book you're reading? Uh, I'm reading. I'm reading The Birth of Rome by Anthony Everett. Favorite verse. Well, Acts two thirty eight is 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 because it's it's the, you know, the plan of salvation in a nutshell. Other than that, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven I think says, God said, I know the thoughts that I have towards you. Yeah, that's yeah. good. They're good thoughts, not of evil. Um, all time hobby. Hmm. Um, probably reading or travel. Yeah. What are you scared of? Spiders. <laughs> are you? I grew up in California. <laughs> we have black widows. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite preacher? Douglas Walker. Yeah. <laughs> he said, good answer. <laughs> Hot or cold? Hot. Now here we go. If you were stranded on an island, you can only take three preachings with you. What are the three preachings? That's uh, I think that's too difficult. <laughs> if you could take three preachers with you, who would you take? Three preachers <laughs> on this island. <laughs> well, I'd want somebody who knew who knew how to survive, and I want somebody who knew how to build a boat. <laughs> I guess Noah was a preacher, right? Yeah, that's, so. <laughs> that's funny. Well, thank you for that. that. That was the end of that rapid-fire question. Bishop King, you have blessed us immensely and have shared parts of your life story that, without a doubt, was a blessing to all of us and all the listeners. In conclusion of this podcast, we would love to give you the opportunity to close this out with a word of encouragement for this generation or a word of prayer, whatever you feel in your heart, the floor is yours. All right. You know, travel is an education. I, I believe in travel, but travel takes money. The other education that, that almost everybody can afford is books. But good books, biographies, histories, ask for advice, seek counsel share with one another my wife's my best friend and uh, when you marry somebody you need to marry somebody who can be your best friend for life we passed our 50 50 years of marriage mark this month and uh, she's the best traveling companion ever you know thank God for a good good wife because they make all the difference.